thanks. Um, there was a member of our congregation who painted this, and I thought it was so cool. It says, uh, prayer answered when God speaks. He wanted to try to raise funds for Calvary Chapel uh, San Jose because they're facing $1.7 million in fines. And I was thinking, why would we raise money to pay for a fine that they're not going to pay? <laughs> they'll never see a dime of that. That's just all there is to it. I mean, they'll go to jail before they're getting money. And I say that in all sincerity because uh, we're at a place where it's troublesome. And the Supreme Court ruling, uh, you had uh, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, Alito, they were in this tier one idea uh, where, you know, complete freedom for churches in accordance with the First Amendment. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Roberts uh, sided with the minority in one sense that, that uh, they didn't see the medical uh, presentation uh, by the attorneys that were defending Harvest International. And they said, we, we can't make a ruling on singing or masks because you didn't present that evidence, so we're not going to grant that to you. But Amy Coney Barrett, and especially with the next round of cases that will go before them, that will be uh, addressed. And, uh, and the evidence lies with those folks. I mean, it's, it's incontrovertible. You look at it, and there it is. So... Uh, it's a small victory in the right direction, and we're thrilled about that, um, and uh, we're still open, so, uh, and we're not going to close. I mean, it's just that simple. Now, we got to this, this difficult place in California uh, because we elected really, really lousy uh, officials. And, and I, I look at California and I think, you know, a, a man last, last go-round uh, ran for governor and funded the race out of his own pocket in a large capacity. I mean, it cost him a lot. and He ran for governor. Christians didn't show up. They just, everyone said, you know, you can't win, why bother? It's the same stuff we're hearing about Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. It's like, oh, I bought a pillow, and, and I, can't, I can't say that enough. I'm, I'm so, I bought a pillow, why didn't Trump win, or why didn't my elected official win, and I, I don't trust elections anymore, I quit. Okay, good for you. You, you have the attention span of a gnat. And, and, and if they had said that back when you had Bush, Gore, and Florida with hanging dimpled chads or whatever, now you see Florida under DeSantis, and you win by 400,000 votes in Dade County, uh, which was one of the most corrupt. It's called leadership. And if, and, if, and if you think you pulled a lever and you don't want to do it anymore, that is your investment in a constitutional republic of the people, by the people, and for the people, and you're done? Really? And people have done that in California. So you run for office and Christians decide not to show up. 15,280,000 evangelical Christians in California, half of them aren't even registered to vote. And of the half that are registered, only half of those vote in a presidential election and 12% in a non-presidential election. We get, we get devastated because they just don't go to the polls because they're apathetic. And they justify their apathy either by their eschatology or the fact that there's cheating or whatever. But good government happens with good people. And you have someone who comes forward pro-life defends the family, puts his own money into the race, and nobody backs him. And then Governor Newsom gets elected, and now we have to work to get 1.4 million signatures, which we've obtained, by the way. <laughs> to recall him, which is a lot of work. And the people that fund that and put the money towards it, they get doxxed and their family gets attacked. And I know one of them primarily who's been beat up by it. They've made running for office and investing in campaigns uh, an illegal activity and they just come after you. Well, the guy that ran against him, Newman last, or Newsom, Newman, uh, Alfred E. Newman, um, who ran against Newsom last time is going to do it again. And I, I love this guy. He's my friend. Welcome, John Cox. Come on, man. Thank you. It's the best.
best service. It's third service. These are wonderful people. Thank you. They got fire. Thank you. They got fire. Thank you all. Thank you all. Pastor Rob. How can you beat this guy? Pastor Rob is just so energetic, so charismatic, and so right. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to do a strip tease. Some of you may be disappointed. I don't know. Well, I want to introduce myself to you. And, and as Pastor Rob said, I ran a race in 2018. I warned you that he was going to turn California into San Francisco. And it's, it's been worse. And we'll talk about that. But I wanted you to understand who I am and my heart and what I feel and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And to understand that, you have to understand my mother, who was the leading light in my life. Uh, my mother was a Chicago public school teacher, and she used to come home at night and literally sit on the sofa and cry because of the corruption of the Chicago public schools, which goes on to today. Uh, she retired, by the way, to Fresno in 1980, and she lived the last 20 years of her life in Fresno. She, she actually got her college degrees from the University of California in the 40s, and she couldn't wait to return to California. My older brother was born in San Jose. Uh, unfortunately, her husband turned into a drunk, and she had to move back to Chicago. Uh, my real father, she tells me, assaulted her, and I was the result. And she would tell me that if abortion had been legal in 1955, I wouldn't be standing here today. And I think my I know my mom loved me, but... It was the fact that she had an older, you know, my older brother, and she had me, and this man didn't take responsibility. I never saw him again. I mean, I, he married her, because that's what you did in 1955, but he left, and I never saw him again, never supported me or any, anything. Uh, his loss, as far as I'm concerned. But the point is, that is, along with my faith, one of the main reasons that I am pro-life 100%, from conception to natural death. And I mention my faith because my mother wasn't faithful. She didn't have any religion, really, at all. So I grew up not really knowing what was going to happen to me or where I came from or, or what my future was going to be. And that's not a very good thing, I think, for a young person. But... Uh, I worked hard. Uh, I worked my way th through college. I was in a hurry uh, because I had nobody to pay for it. Um, I finished college in two and a half years uh, because I was paying for it. Uh, I had a daughter who took five years because I was paying for it. But uh, I became a CPA by the time I was 20 years old, and then I went to law school at night. Uh, I worked during the day, and Went to, went to law school at night, burning the candle at both ends. And that's, I'm telling you that because it relates to my faith journey. One time on the train in Chicago, I got on the train and I cracked open my books right away. And this older gentleman sat next to me. His name was Lou Belland, and he's with, he's with his father right now in heaven. And, but he sat down. We had a nice discussion. He could see the bags under my eyes, and uh, they were worse than they are now. And he started to talk to me, and we, we got into a deep discussion. We finally got into a discussion about God and, and my future and, and you know, the, the teachings of the Bible. And, 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 and that day, I became reborn on October 31, 1979. And he, he gave me this Bible, and I've used it through all the Bible study that I've done since that time. And... And, and that really informs my desire to be involved in public service. You know, I, I want to be able to get to heaven and account to my father for the wonderful gifts that he's given me. And, and that, you know, I thought long and hard about what I was going to talk about because, you know, I've seen Pastor Rob on video and, and really appreciate, you know, besides the striptease, uh, appreciate his teachings and and it's all about love. It's all about love of your fellow man, and it's all about giving and using the gifts that God has given us 
And I believe God has bestowed so incredibly wonderful gifts on me that my desire to run for governor is all about wanting to make sure that every single Californian, without exception, has the opportunity to have the wonderful life, the wonderful love, and the wonderful opportunity this state and this country has given to me. I built a business, again, I've not done it by myself, I've done it with the good Lord providing me the talents and the opportunities, but uh, I started with nothing and I built a successful business and I'm determined to use those resources to the extent I can to do something about the horrible, horrible mismanagement that is going on in this state. And, you know, this pandemic has really opened people's eyes, I believe. I mean, in 2018, people, as Rob said, people, you know, kind of didn't get involved. They thought Gavin Newsom was a foregone conclusion. I wasn't a celebrity or a career politician, so I wasn't that well-known, and so people... Didn't care that much. Well, you know what? One of my favorite expressions is you will be made to care. And if, and if this pandemic response, the shutdown of our churches, besides the idea of it, you know, of course, violating the First Amendment, it's a violation of all of our natural God-given rights. But it's also our children being kept out of school. We don't know what untold damage we're doing to the emotional and mental and intelligence health of our children. It's horrendous. And the small businesses, I run a small business. I can't imagine what I would do if the government came along one day and said, you just can't open your doors. Meanwhile, Home Depot and Costco and all the big chains, they're all fine. And you can go to an abortion clinic or a pot shop or a strip club but you can't go to church and you can't send your kids to school. Well, guess what? We now know what it's like when we don't have the right political leadership. We have been made to care. Well, I'm here to urge all of you to get involved. We are now close on the recall, but whether the recall happens or not, I'm running. I will tell you, I joined the recall in September before they got their extension of the signatures. I wrote them a nice big check, and I said this state was in crisis. It was about the time that Gavin Newsom was telling all of us to turn off our air conditioners at night when it was hot and humid because we didn't have enough electricity. How do you spell Banana Republic instead of California? And fires are raging all around us in September, and all we get is climate change, and it's we're going to ban the car in 2035. We have got to solve these problems. We've got to solve housing and homelessness and electricity and water and fires and, and public safety and education and all the things that are making California unlivable for a lot of people who have chosen to leave, by the way. They voted with their feet. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. I know Rob doesn't want you to do that. I'm going to stay. I'm going to fight. I need every one of you to join this fight. You can't sit back anymore. Every person in the state, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jew, whether you're Muslim, whatever you are, we all need to get involved and get better leadership, leadership that has integrity, that's not corrupt, that's going to do the right thing, and that's going to get this state turned around. And trust me, believe me, I'm not doing this because I need a job. I've got a wonderful job. I'm doing this because it needs to be done. I'm not going to be bought. I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to solve these problems, and then I'm going to retire and have a wonderful life with my wife. And thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you. Bless you. Hey, um, he stayed for the first service, second service, it's third service. I'm going to let him go home if you're all right with that. Yeah, amen. Go get some rest. Bless you. Go back and remind your wife what you look like. God bless you, John. Thank you. Uh, so uh, this whole week I was in... Um, uh, Phoenix, and I uh, had a chance to 
uh, meet with pastors from all over the country uh, at a church there, and these pastors are um, all in, and they're tired of the tyranny, and they have joined forces with us, and it was pretty remarkable, and we were blown away, so I'm really cool. In addition, uh, this last week I was given an article by, uh, it was in Politico, Mag Politico Magazine. Um, I'm going to cover it tomorrow night on the live stream. It's a very troubling article, to say the least. And it was written um, about <clears throat> a woman named Elizabeth Newman, who was a former top official of the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, she professes herself... Uh, to be an evangelical Christian, or let me correct that, she was raised in the evangelical tradition. She considers herself a devout Christian, um, but the article is very troubling and um, of great concern. And it goes through this whole idea of equating the QAnon or QAnon conspiracy with uh, white evangelical fundamentalists, and that we are extremists. Um, and that we are part of an um, insurrection. Uh, we're, we're fomenting violence. And it's troublesome. And, and I've never been a Q Anon guy. Um, I was always telling people, where's your evidence? And, no, you don't understand. The president's about to invoke uh, I've got evidence from the thing. I'm like, okay. No, no, my, my nephew's um, second cousin's Friend is an FBI agent. This is verified. Okay, yeah, right, sure it is, yeah. And we all know a rumor is just a lie with legs on it. And the left lies and so does the right. And, and, and you read the article, and I'll cover it on Monday night, but suffice it to say, we all got played. And now they're using this to try to project it upon the church in America. And, and, and it's, it's going to accelerate rapidly. And so I wanted to take time this morning, which is Communion Sunday, to address what is communion. Because it'll stave off your concerns about folks writing articles like that and why is it we gather. And fascinatingly enough, nobody in this room has been forced to be here. And if you have been, let me know. And it's actually come at great cost. Some of you have lost your jobs. You've been kicked out of your apartments because they consider you to be a super spreader, so they've taken away your lease and your job. We, we have folks in the church that that's happened to them. Interesting times. And yet you still come. You're brave. 93 of you were baptized in front of a camera, no less. That was pretty amazing. And, and now... Now it's becoming difficult. In the days ahead, it's going to become challenging. We're watching uh, this expedited move by our government. The most popular president in American history. Over 80 million votes he received. Yet he needs 25,000 National Guardsmen to protect him. And the Capitol is surrounded by a wall. Because apparently there's an insurrection going on. I don't know if you all know this. I, I, I'm wondering where they're getting the people from because our church numbers have increased. I didn't know any of you went to Washington for that insurrection. Um, and, and of the five people that died in the riots, four of them were Trump supporters. One was a police officer. That police officer, was. we were told that he was bludgeoned with a fire hydrant. And now there's a correction that came out in CNN that there was no blunt force trauma to his head at all. So... We don't know how he died, but he died. They still haven't arrested anyone on behalf of his death, but we're all led to believe that this is an insurrection, and Christians are responsible for it. They're, they're creating this narrative, and trust me, they, they're, they know what they're doing. They're very gifted at this, and so we have to be wise, and all of this culminates, and we got to stop drinking too, really. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Anywho, where was I? This is, this is one of those areas where, as, as we perceive, we have to understand the critical nature of baptism, which we studied last week, and all of you got it. It's the difference between prominent and preeminent, right? And now we come into communion, and that communion back in April, April 4th of last year, that got us in a lot of hot water. I, I ended up not being on the city council. We made national news. Somehow we're super spreaders. Uh, we became the target of the county. They put emergency restraining order on us. We were going to kill everybody, apparently. We're now approaching a year from that date, and I'm wondering where all that, it hasn't come, well, we've lost 600 and close to 670 of our citizens in Ventura County, which is tragic. Um, there's no more pneumonia or influenza, and influenza A and influenza B miraculously have disappeared but we've lost close to 670 citizens in Ventura County of 856,000 people, which is one seven-hundredth of one percent. Now, listen, my point is this. All of those deaths are tragic, but none of them justify the destruction of our First Amendment freedoms ever, period. A church is essential. It always has been and always will be. If you can equate the church as non-essential, then what kind of a government do you have? And that's what we're going to cover today because the concept of communion is common unity. Communion. And it's critical in its definition. And you're also going to see, and you can read this, Jonathan Mayhew, May, uh, Jonathan Mayhew wrote an article on the 100th anniversary of, of the assassination of James I. And it was, an, it was a sermon that echoed across America that invoked Romans 13 and allowed Americans to rebel against England and gave us the American Revolution. One of the most prominent sermons in the history of America. They don't teach it in school anymore. Jonathan Mayhew. Take a look at it. It's phenomenal. And we're going to cover because he went through this concept of communion. What is it that unifies us and what is this, the importance of this communion within the body of Christ and in America. And so with that, would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The folks will be walking down the aisles to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. And you're welcome to keep it, by the way. Before I read that, let me just share this with you. This was a question posed to Elizabeth Newman by Politico. They said, for nearly 20 years since 9-11, to counter violent extremism, the U.S. government has done outreach to imams and other faith leaders in Muslim communities. In light of the QAnon problem, should we be doing the same with leaders in evangelical Christian communities? See the... She says, I think we need to learn from the mistakes of the last 20 years. I'm very mindful that there are places where things went off very well with countering violent extremism outreach. And there are also places where things did not go well. It's a mixed bag. I personally feel the great burden since I came from these communities to try to figure out how to help the leaders in these communities. I don't know that I am a credible voice anymore because of my political outspokenness, but there certainly are pastors who are struggling with these questions. How do I help somebody that has gone down the QAnon rabbit hole? Or to put in biblical terms, how do I help somebody who has made Trump an idol? Pastors, church leaders, faith leaders, when you frame it that way for them, the answers start to come. Oh, we know about this. Usually pastors have done a lot of counseling and shepherding in their lifetimes. Uh, they know that you don't approach people head on and with dogmatic arguments that tends to not work. You need to recognize that there's often something else going on that has made somebody vulnerable to being deceived. And coming out of that deception can be painful and humbling. But faith leaders, the good ones at least, I guess I'm not one of those, are perfect for that kind of work. So even though the particular topic itself may be different than they are used to, they have many skill sets. Some of what you need to do supporting them because it's disheartening work. It takes a long time for somebody to disengage. It's actually not a light switch. Although QAnon January 20th may be historically looked at as the light switch moment, QAnon lore has long held that on January 20th, Joe Biden would not be inaugurated. Donald Trump would remain president, declare martial law. And many prominent political leaders would be arrested. You've seen many people go, oh, I was conned. 
and they're out. But for others, it may be a longer journey. Certainly, what they teach from their pulpits is relevant, even going back to the basics. Scripture teaches us not to spend time in conspiracies. You don't have to say anything about stop the steal or whatever or teach the Ten Commandments. Uh, you're believing made-up sets of facts about people you don't have firsthand knowledge of. There's always pastors. Uh, there are ways pastors can address it, but it's hard. And they need a community where they feel safe to be encouraged to do this work. The question is about the government. Your question is about the government, and I'm intentionally avoiding that in part because in this particular case, I don't know if the government is a credible voice at all. They probably would be more, they would do more harm than good. The best thing they can do is provide fact-based resources. For example, here you go, threat briefings to educate ordinary citizens on signs of individuals who might be radicalizing into violence. Providing that information would be helpful, uh, but you kind of want there to be a cutoff. You don't want Big Brother calling the local pastor and saying, hey, your tips for the week. What can government do? Well, they're resourced to help state and local governments to do research to identify best practices to keep us informed about the threats, to give grant funding for prevention work, but those concepts are inherently built around the idea that the multidisciplinary approach, and when we say multidisciplinary, it's mental health, it's human services, it's education, uh, and this is for folks who believe that the election was stolen, they need to be re-educated, re and it goes on. So... We're in a community not unlike Corinth that we're about to read about. Corinth was a, a nation that was, or was a city that was struggling, in a nation that was struggling. There was a small Christian uh, gathering there. The women at Corinth all participated uh, in the debauchery of the temple there, where they had to sell their bodies one or two times a year to bring funding to that. So, wives, daughters, they were all invoked in this sexual debauchery and the like. And then this Christian group starts up and they're being attacked and ridiculed and, and the, the church itself was kind of struggling. They didn't have a unified front and, and a unification to serve together. And so when the church would gather, they were really messed up. And so Paul begins by addressing the church. But before we get to that, I want to show you just one verse and then we'll stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2... Luke writes this, he says, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. We baptized 93 last week, and watch what happens after that. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. So they, they participate in communion, and they were in fellowship, they were in common unity, communion, and they all surrounded in this idea of the doctrine of Christ, and the teachings of Christ, and discipleship. And so when Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, they're a mess. This church is, is uh, just, they put the fun in dysfunction. They are really screwed up. And we're going to pick up in our study on verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So look at verse 17, and when you find it, stand, please. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 now, in giving these instructions, Paul says, I do not praise you since you come together not for better but for worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you, and you'll know they're Christians by their love for one another. Therefore, when you come together in one place... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. And then he says in verse 23, he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, verse 23, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was to be betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, 
not discerning the Lord's body. Last three verses. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I mean, that was the simple point. Quit being so stinking selfish. If, you, if you're hungry or you want to get drunk or you want to get in front of somebody in line, do that at home. But when you come together as a body of believers, you come in unity with Christ to serve one another. You don't have an agenda. It's not about you being prominent. It's about Christ being preeminent. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. Now in Christendom, there are many musicians that are prominent. And if you're going to do for the least of these, that's going to challenge us being unified with Christ and being unified with each other in common unity. We'll explain that momentarily and take a good look at what communion means, especially in context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to meet us this day where we are. And Lord, thank you for this great blessing of having communion with you. And so, Lord, show us what it means and encourage your people, we pray. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat if you would. Our communion with Christ assumes being in union with Christ. What is communion? What is this that we do the first Sunday of the month? What is this sacrament that got us in trouble with the governor? What is this sacrament so critical during our Holy Week that we would stand upon it and declare it to be essential, even though that took three and a half hours to do, and yet the government would say it's not necessary the church would come out against us. Christendom that has the airwaves would never, would, wouldn't seem to defend us. And this supposed pandemic, which it is, it is a pandemic, but does it justify the negating of these inalienable rights? Are we allowed to face tyranny and be told that we can't sing to God? How many justices would approve and those who wouldn't and what are the numbers and where's the governor coming from and is he right and are we allowed to shutter businesses in violation of the Fifth Amendment? Are all these justified? Is a government official who declares these and has been wrong on his assumptions, is he allowed to profit from the vaccines that are being implemented and maybe being forced upon us? Is this compulsory compliance? Not one mask, but two now. Two. No singing, plexiglass, six feet. On the plane, you can drop it, eat it, but put it back up. If they told us that the virus was only effective above four feet, they could get us all to crawl all over America. <laughs> the virus only comes out at 10 p.m. and then stops at 5 a.m. There's no science to it, but you must adhere to the governor. And it's about the science, but it's not about the science. And it applies to everyone, just not the governor. Anyone catching this? Look, I'm not here to argue the severity of the virus. I'm here, I'm here to address the tyranny of the overreach of government. And, and as we come to communion, they've literally called us super spreaders. We've been fined, we've been addressed. Forget about everything else. Forget about the riots. Forget about the 75% of the businesses in Los Angeles being burned and looted were Jewish owned. Forget that. Forget anything else. This place is of greatest concern. Forget about releasing convicts into the street. You are the ones. And, and our sister church in San Jose, $1.7 million in fines. Not excessive? Does the governor get called on it? How about when I have to sit in a court of law and they're going to question me and I'm put on the stand as guilty, yet the people that have brought the evidence are guilty of the exact same thing because we had pictures of them in their car next to each other without masks while they're writing down all of your violations. Nobody has a problem with that? Nobody? 
When, when does it end? And we come to this place where it boils down to communion. Our communion with Christ assumes being in union with Christ. Why is this nation so different than any other in the 6,000 years of recorded history? What makes a republic so profound and why is it in jeopardy? What is a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people? Can a nation long endure that isn't moral? John Adams would say only a moral people can govern a republic. Why did the First Amendment, why did they put that? What is the significance of freedom of clergy and of religion? What is the significance of the freedom of the press? What does the press provide? Supposedly truth. So is the pulpit. And as we examine these things and we see communion, this word communion, common unity, communion. And the Lord is saying, look, serve one another. Otherwise, when you come together, if, if it's all about you and it's your prominence and not Christ's preeminence, and you're coming because you see a benefit for you somewhere in Christendom, I got news for you. Persecution will wipe that out. And it, it, it will be a pruning of the body of Christ, the pruning of the plant, that it might grow in sincerity. That you truly do love one another because it's going to cost you something. Our communion with Christ assumes being in union with Christ. So if it means being in union with Christ, that means whatever is critical and of greatest importance to him, that is preeminent. I love him. I want the world to know I love him. I've associated myself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through public baptism, public profession of faith. And now I'm going to take communion to declare Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he is my Savior, that his death on the cross covered my iniquity, his blood was shed for the remission of my sins, for blood must be shed for the remission of sins. That his sacrifice as a sinless lamb of God, his body broken, his blood shed was for me. And I received that. So I'm in communion. I assume being in communion, the, 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 the clarity is I'm in union with Jesus. I'm in agreement that I have sin and I, I need to be forgiven. And he did that. What else does communion do? Our communion with Christ is demonstrated through our love and service to one another. If I'm in union with Christ and I love the least of these, now that's problematic. It's political. And it isn't popular. I love those little babies created in his image whose little torsos have been ripped apart and flushed into the sewers of our nation. I weep and I'm burdened. And that is a defining moment for the church. Because it's not popular. But if you're in union with Christ, you're in union with those created in his image. You're in union with his declaration that thou shalt not commit murder. We've all been affected by it. This isn't condemnation, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we all come to a unity, a consensus, an agreement with our Savior, our King, that this has to stop. But it's not popular. You don't grow a church that way. Christian musicians don't make money doing that. They lose their prominence because all of a sudden the cultures change and they avoid that. You don't do it on Christian radio because it just doesn't sell. That's communion. Communion means you demonstrate your love for the least of these. There's nothing they can do for you. They're voiceless. They're inconvenient. Nobody cares. Why defend them? The world believes they're not even human. It's going to cost you something to stand on their behalf. To be the barrier so that no one takes their life. But they're not human. That's what they said about Jews. The church yielded. The church wanted to remain prominent. 
So it rejected the preeminence of Christ. They no longer had communion with Christ. They had union with the world to maintain their prominence. That's an unworthy manner. That's a duplicitous life. You're going to get sick. Your, your heart's going to be ripped out. You can't live in two worlds. You'll love one and hate the other. No mind can survive that. You know that you're not being honest. It doesn't do anything for your health. Our communion with Christ is tested through persecution and suffering. I guess the greatest question I have is, Okay, so the governor has been rebuked by the Supreme Court? Maybe? I don't know. We were right all along. We do have a First Amendment. But where are the programs talking about that? Well, it's still not popular, it still doesn't pay. We have given up Christ's preeminence for our prominence so we can sell Christendom. It's money. But the lawyers, if you're a lawyer, I, you're not one of the ones I'm speaking of. <laughs> lawyers? Yeah, we, we can't open because there's a liability. I got, I got news for you. There's a greater liability if you don't open. You're, you're going to be a lawyer for fascism. There'll be no freedom. Communion will bring persecution and suffering. Jesus did it for the least of these. He wasn't popular. He was beaten. That's the cup. That's, that's the bread. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was, he was pierced. His, his face, his visage was so marred more than any other man. His own mother wouldn't recognize him. They pulled his beard out of his face. They put a bag over his head, tied his hands behind his back, and they sucker punched him. And they said, prophesy who hit you. They stuck him in the side with a spear and his, his wrists were pierced, his feet. And do you think for a moment that he, he couldn't stop them? He was God. He is God. Nails don't hold God. The whole Roman army couldn't stand in his presence. One angel wiped out hundreds of thousands of Assyrians. This is God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. And he's willingly laying his life down to redeem us. To redeem us. While we were yet sinners. While we were still evil. He, he, is, he is seeking to bring reconciliation by paying the penalty of cosmic treason. That his blood would be shed for the remission of our sins, not his. He was without sin. There was no selfishness in that act whatsoever. He set the example. You want to be in union with him? Lay your life down. For the least of these. He brought liberty to mankind where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. He brought that. We would reject that over our pride. What is our pride? Well, he can't be my Messiah because my historical tradition would deny that. He can't be my Messiah because he's been portrayed with immutable traits that I don't agree with. He can't be my Messiah because historically, I, whatever it is, fill in the blank. You're not in union. And yet you see the body of Christ being persecuted. You see every great move in American history has come from the church itself. If they've stood... For the slave, the child labor laws, women's suffrage, civil rights, it's been the church ridiculed and mocked. What is communion? Communion with Christ is grounded in our commitment to the word of God. He said it, I believe it, that settles it. I, I have watched news, I have studied history, I have read biographies, 
I have read textbooks, but there is no other book in all the world that I have ever read that has touched me, moved me, and transformed me more than the living, breathing Word of God, 66 books of the Bible, cover to cover. It doesn't contradict itself. It is the scarlet thread of redemption from Old Testament to New Testament. It is the idea that blood must be shed for the remission of sins, that it would prophesy of a Messiah and it would be fulfilled. And I'm blown away by it. It speaks to past, present, and future. Archaeologically, you find a dig anywhere in the historical references of that scripture where you, that says it is, you go there and boom, how about that? We're committed to that word. We teach it. But this is the most critical part of communion. Nobody forced you to come here. Nobody. You're here of your own free will. You've chosen to come. And you're unified in the declaration that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That he's the one who redeemed you from the slave block of sin by dying in your place. That he has cleansed you of all unrighteousness. His body was broken. His, his blood was shed. Of the seven words he spoke at the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As they mocked him and spit upon him and ridiculed him. As he turned to John and he said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. John, take care of my mom. Mom, John will take it from here. But the final word he spoke on that cross, one in the Greek, three in English, he said, to telestai. He couldn't even get that word out of his mouth because the beating was so severe that his tongue was swollen. They had to dip a sponge into his mouth to loosen his tongue so he could say the word. He said, to telestai. In the Greek, it means paid in full. It is finished. Paid in full. Debt paid. Done. Transaction complete. You can come off the slave block now. You have been set free. And you know what? No man takes his life. He willingly and voluntarily laid it down for you and me. To be in unity with the Father and the Spirit. To give his life as a ransom for the many. And now we live in a world of compulsory conformity. Wear two masks six feet apart, crawl, if the virus can only go above four feet. I mean, make it up. You'll find yourself, meh, meh. Yes, we have to wear two masks. No, no. Get away. Shut the businesses. Oh, everybody. Forget the, forget the sheeple sound. It should be more like this. Ha, ha. And that's not to mock those who've died. Please understand that. We know the severity of the virus. We've studied it. But we're kind of tired of being told something that is obviously wrong and we know it. And they make you do it. The airplane. You're in a tube with circulating air. And the mask has to come down. The food, the mask back up. I, I, I just can't process that. But when you get off the plane, six feet apart. This is a brilliant virus, by the way. Stunningly brilliant. You know what it is? It's not a virus. It's control. Oh, if you think it's control. Amen. Thank you. But wait. Wait. If you think it's control... You're a conspiracy theorist. You step outside the narrative, we're going to label you. Label me what? Well, your immutable trait of the presence or absence of melanin. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's racism if you don't buy it. What? What are you, what are you talking about? I want, my, I want my kids to go to school. I want to be able to go to dinner. Look, if you have comorbidities and you're highly susceptible, tell me what you'd like me to do. I'll help you. 
But let everyone go back to work, please. Let our businesses... I, I, I know you got money and savings and you're doing good, but they just lost everything. 65% of the restaurants will never reopen. They need to come back. Open up the county. My point is this, you're here voluntarily. This is voluntary unity. We're here to serve one another. This is the body of Christ. The government demands compulsory conformity. Do as you're told. Do as you're told. Self-government without the modifier Christian in its full biblical meaning is nothing more than self-will regardless of initial intent to be or do good. You try to venture into a form of government without Christ, it's going to end up in the ash heap of history, of 6,000 years of recorded history. It will be an oligarchy, just give it a different name, where the few will rule the many and freedom is flushed. The only good thing and the only one who can set the captives free, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And he's the one who's come to set the captives free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That name is Jesus Christ, period. Man without Christ cannot succeed in producing lasting good. That's why John Adams said only a moral people can govern a republic. You see, this republic, interestingly enough, is not a top-down. It's a bottom-up. And the bottom-up is, I'm accountable to God, and I'm accountable to the other citizens in the nation. What's so fascinating about that? I'm almost done. Steaks are done. People are finished. I'm almost finished. Well, I'd prefer to be a steak. I'm almost done. Mankind, as history proves, is far more willing to try to love and worship God than to properly love one's neighbor. I just, I just, I don't need fellowship to worship the Lord. I can do it from my home. I just, I feel his presence. Yeah, I know, but uh, they're stifling businesses and we're standing on behalf of the small businesses and community we're standing on behalf of the fact that they say the church is not essential, but abortion clinics are essential. So we're opening up and, and yes, but I don't need that. I, I just worship the Lord. I'm not political. I don't do that. I just, I don't do that. Okay. But there's a million children a year whose little bodies are ripped apart and flushed into the sewers of our nation. I, yeah, that's your take on it, but it's not necessarily mine. I worship the Lord and he's sovereign and he'll figure that out. Well, you know, he was sovereign during slavery too. Yeah, yeah, I know, but this, I mean, I just don't do politics. And I go to a church that we just don't do politics. Yeah, I know, that's how we got in this mess. Yeah, but it doesn't really profit, and I'm part of, you know, I'm in the industry. I'm in the industry. Yeah? Yeah, so it's just, it's not profitable, you know? I'm very prominent in my little realm, and if I stand on these things, I am going to lose. I mean, I'm, they're going to think I'm a nut. <laughs> they're going to label me conspiracy. Yeah, well, they called Jesus the way and the followers the way. I mean, they were pulling that stunt early on, too. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still not. Is Christ preeminent or prominent in your life? Oh, he's prominent, but my prominence is more important than his prominence. <laughs> so, so what are you saying? Well, I, I'd love to worship the Lord, but I'm not really interested in... Well, I love my neighbor. Do you love the least of these, the ones that don't have a voice? Yeah, see, there you go again with that whole thing. Those aren't people. They're just blobs of tissue. And you know what? Here, better yet, you're just Mr. Pro-Life, you. What about when after they're born? Nobody cares for them then. Where, where's the church then? Well, you know, we, as a church... I've been the pastor for over 20 years. We've offered to take care of any woman who doesn't want to keep her baby. And if she is willing to keep her baby, we'll pay for it. No one's ever taken me up on that. What are you saying? Are you saying because people don't want them that we should kill them? 
I mean, nobody wanted the Jews after World War II. They wanted to put them back in the concentration camps. They gave them Palestine. Now they're upset that they gave them territory called Israel. And they want to wipe them off the face of the earth. Where are you going with this? This is insanity. Yes, I know, but um, I got to go now. I have an appointment, so... Yeah, we worship the Lord, I guess, but we don't love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor requires effort. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A constitutional republic requires two things. Love God, love each other. And to love your neighbor means the least of these, the ones that are most vulnerable. How do you do that? With communion. Common unity. I agree with you, God. And you're preeminent, and I don't care what the cost is. It costs you everything. I'm willing to give it all. How do we obtain this unity? Why are you bringing this politically? Because our founders did. We the people in order to form a more perfect union. What do we do? How do you form that perfect union? How do you bring that communion? How do you bring that perfect union? Justice. Justice is God's idea, not man's. Man suppresses other human beings. He's done that through all of earth's history. Christ has come to set the captives free. He is justice. He's the embodiment of justice. To ensure domestic tranquility, how do we get along with one another? We love him, we love each other. You don't steal, you don't cheat. Well, you know, those are subjective, and I think our morality is kind of based on what I'm feeling. No, these are God's standards. He's the king. He's the author. See, our founders understood that when we did this proclamation, this declaration, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator. We recognize that God is in control. You know, I'm not really into that. Good, good. But this nation is founded on that. That's our birth certificate. These are the articles of incorporation. You're welcome, but deal with it. And if we live in this union, we must be about justice and domestic provision and provide for the common defense. No one is coming in to bind the strong man and plunder his house. This nation that was conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal will flourish on the face of the earth. 86 cents of every dollar in evangelism comes from this nation. You're not going to bind the strong man and come and plunder the goods. No, we will have a military Promote the general welfare. Secure the blessings of what? Liberty. Yeah, liberty's not man's idea. It's God's idea. Liberty, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Who do we secure that for? Our posterity. You serve generations you've yet to meet. That's why 18-year-olds died on the beaches of Normandy so you and I could be here rightly dividing the word of truth. They never got to marry or give birth to children, but they died to set us free from fascism. And here we are in our own nation getting ready to embrace it, and the church is silent. And we want to call it communion? We do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America for our posterity. This is a union conceived in liberty. Where did you get that idea? The Bible. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. You want communion? Don't do it in an unworthy manner. The communion is first union with Christ and union with each other that we are in agreement that we will contend for the least of these. We will honor God no matter what the cost. He's preeminent. 
We will stand on the teachings and the precepts of Christ no matter what it costs us. They can ridicule us, they can mock us, they can imprison us, they can shame us, but we will be not moved. That is communion. You want to throw down the, the bread and the cup and head on your way because it's an exercise in futility while you go back to Christ being prominent but not preeminent? To remain silent instead of standing in defense of the unborn? We're just going to end up in more imprisonment, more slavery. Christ has come to set the captives free. It's not pleasant. Listen, life would be a lot easier if we could just show a videotape. We made church something we could do on television. But we don't forsake fellowshipping with the saints. We hold one another accountable. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We encourage one another. You have no idea what your presence in this room means to me. The strength I find. The joy that is mine to call you brothers and sisters. Your fearlessness. What a privilege to be a pastor of a fellowship like this. You come at great expense to yourselves and challenge. That's the body of Christ. That's communion. Don't do it in an unworthy manner. You know if Christ is prominent or preeminent. You know if you're just playing games. Be honest. Because it's going to cost us. It's a wonderful time to be alive. Because you find out who's real and who isn't. Those you thought would stand with you didn't. And those you didn't think would stand have. It's a fun time to be alive. I'm in union with Christ. I'm grateful to be free. And I'll do whatever's necessary to stand upon that freedom against the tyranny of a government that would seek to suppress the freedom of others. That's communion. It doesn't matter the price. His body was beaten, his blood was shed, and I'm free. Small price to pay for the rest of posterity. I want my kids to be proud of me. I want to live for them, but more importantly, if I have to, I'll die for them. Freedom is worth everything I own. That's communion. He gave it all. Receive it and give it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time of communion. It is not an exercise in futility, but it's a declaration of liberty. Voluntary unity, not compulsory conformity. We stand against tyranny. For Christ is sent. Christ has come to set the captives free. You have redeemed us from the slave block of sin. You died that we might live. We die to ourselves that others might come to live and be free that they would overcome the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus Lord Jesus we thank you for your body that was broken as you declared in 1 Corinthians 11 or Paul did that this was your body broken you held up the cup of the new covenant this is your blood shed for the remission of our sins and then you stated as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, that we're in unity with you, in agreement with you. And we receive what you've done for us in order that we might do it for others. We are no longer afraid. You are our king. 
regenocide, the killing of a king, no earthly power could keep you in the grave. You overcame the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That makes you the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that you are Lord. Today, we do that. And we thank you. And we love you. And we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have the elements? Usually take the bread first because the body had to be broken before the blood could be shed. I always say it. If you screw up the order, you're still going to heaven. Take that communion at your leisure while the worship team plays. And once you've come to a place where you've examined your heart and you have been in unity, common unity with the Lord and with his willingness to set the captives free, then worship him. Stand, you're free. God is your king and we are in communion with him. Amen. God bless you all.